This podcast episode contains explicit content, including violence, swearing, and other adult content. In this podcast, we'll be covering all of the Grishaverse, and it will be full of spoilers. No, really, there are going to be lots of spoilers. We'll be discussing the original Shadow and Bone trilogy, the Six of Crows duology, the King of Scars duology, and season one of the Shadow and Bone Netflix show, and even, potentially, Demon in the Woods and Language of Thorns. So bust out your tinfoil hats and join us. We're a group of friends who've spent years reading the Grishaverse and discussing it together. We started a group chat recently when the King of Scars duology came out and our group chat recently passed 5,000 messages in one month. So we figured <laughs> it was time. We'd love if you'd join us for the ride. My name is Anjali. I'm Kat. And I'm JJ. Today's topic, we're going to be discussing one of Alina's love interests, Malian Oretsov. And if you didn't believe JJ before, believe us now, there is going to be a lot of spoilers. Like she said, we're covering everything. So if you don't want to know what happens after season one of the show, you should probably stop listening immediately. But also then go read the books and then come back and listen to it. Yeah, definitely read the books and come back and talk to us about it. The words of Nikolai that best summarize Mal for me are, quote, that type needs plenty of time for brooding and self-recrimination. Otherwise, they get cranky. (laughs) In the book, Mal, we get to know him from Alina's point of view. She's clearly very in love with him, though they appear to just be best friends. He doesn't really appear to know of or at least acknowledge her interest in him. I think saving his life turns out to be a big deal for Mal, but before that can really be acknowledged, they're separated. We really only get the references to Mal as the target of letters of Alina that he never responds to. And then he'll show up halfway into the book and he finds Alina happy and thriving and he immediately turns into a giant grumpy face. He's very jealous very cranky. And Shomal is like an entirely different character. I feel like the main thing they share is the name and being orphans who grew up with Alina. Other than that, I was actually shocked by how different they were. And Tracker. He's he's a tracker. He's still a tracker. He's still a tracker in the show. But I think the biggest thing overall that changed with Mal is that we actually get his POV in the show. You feel very differently about him. As the show progresses, I think we see even more of the differences between show Mal and book Mal. One big one being book Mal is crazy jealous of the Darkling, and that causes a lot of tension between him and Alina. In the show, the biggest point of contention actually seems to be that he thought Alina was hiding that she was Grisha from him. Now time for a fun fact interlude that according to Lee Bardugo, the author of the Grishaverse, Mal's name is derived from Malcolm, who is a servant to a saint. And she's been very thoughtful about all of her names in the Grishaverse. Maybe at some point we'll do an episode where we really <laughs> dive into them. I have seen people reporting that there are translations of these books that do not use the nickname Mal because in Romance languages, it means bad, pretty much. And apparently in other languages, it also means other things. It's just a short word that has a lot of meanings. So I think I was talking a little bit about how different his character 
is in the book versus the show. The big one that kind of struck me was how he treated Alina and thought of her relationship with the Darkling. I'm curious what you two think. So I can go first and I'll just start off with a disclaimer that unlike a lot of the internet, I like Mal. I like book Mal. I like show Mal. I don't hate him regardless of my feelings about him. I definitely feel like when they were producing the show, they really felt like they needed to do a rehab of Mal's character to make him more popular and more palatable. And it worked. It's really striking how different the contrast is between Book Mal and Show Mal and how much more likable Show Mal is. Mm -hmm. But in defense of Book Mal, I'll just discuss him for a bit. Mal is incredibly insecure. And his insecurity seems to be rooted in the fact that back when they were orphans, they seemed like they were meant to be. And now Alina's become this incredibly special person. He doesn't see himself fitting into her life. And he's so hurt and he acts out. And I, I will admit he acts out not very maturely, but I feel for Mal in that instance. Show Mal, at the same time, also gets mad at Alina at the very same point in the book, but they spell it out very clearly that this is not about insecurity. It's not about being jealous of her new lifestyle or even being jealous of her relationship with the general. It's about the fact that he thought that she was lying to him, which I feel like is like a more understandable, more relatable thing to be mad at. Yeah, they updated several of the characters from book to show, including Alina and especially the Darkling, but Mal is the one who really felt like he had a complete character makeover to me. Absolutely. And when they were first teasing little bits about the show, I was seeing people saying that they had really redone Mal. And you could even see in in the brief trailers where he and Alina are talking together, and you can see they're having fun. Like they have chemistry. And that was just something that was completely missing from that beginning of the book. We're in Alina's head, and so we know she's really into him. And we know how little she believes him to be into her. And so we just, we don't see Alina's insecurity about Mal in the beginning of this either. And I think that makes a huge difference. I believe we were watching maybe the first episode and we were doing like a the Netflix party thing and I changed my handle to Mal is okay actually. But you really <laughs> see how much they care for each other even without all those meta flashback scenes. Yeah. In the beginning of the show, when they're walking and they've got their arms around each other and they just have such good chemistry, like you were saying, I was like, why aren't they already together? It feels like they could be, right? Yeah, I think that's one thing that's really obviously different from the book and the show. You see this both with Mal and Alina. You see it with Kaz and Inej. Maybe we can discuss that at another point in the show. The TV versions of these characters are much more obviously into each other. I think in the TV universe, I at least assumed if these characters were left alone, that they would end up together. I think in the book, if Mal doesn't almost die and Alina doesn't almost die saving him, they may not have ended up together, or at least not for a while. But in Great. the TV show, they're on that path and it gets disrupted. Yeah, it is not clear to me in the show why they are not farther down that path, but there is a romantic undertone without any sort of actual romantic advancement in their relationship. And the reason for that in the beginning and then in the end of the season is really unclear to me. Anjali, you were saying 
in the books, it feels like if there weren't some life-changing event, they may have never ended up together. That's actually how I felt. And it felt like in the third book, when he's suddenly talking about, remember, I promised to marry you, like I told Anakuya that, it felt shoehorned into me to make it be like, Mal was always in love with Alina too. I see that. I also think it showed how maybe childhood Mal was into Alina, but in this very childhood sweetheart thing. And he ended up taking her for granted as they grew older. And that kind of confirmed like, hey, I, I did place you like very close to my heart. And then I was an ass about it. I've always held a candle for you. I don't know. I remember book Mal using the I see you now line that that one was 100% like shoehorned into the show, right? Didn't make sense at all in the show. I was like, you really just wanted to use this line, didn't you? Yeah, 100% agree. That line was misplaced because in the show, it appears he was seeing her at the time. Yeah, he's seen her the whole time. It is heavily implied he turned down Zoya because he had feelings for Alina. So we've covered his relationship with Alina in the book and in the show. And now we move on to Mal's relationship with the Darkling. And this to me was really exciting because in the books, we never get a scene of Mal and the Darkling together. And I've read it in fan fiction. I've written it in fan fiction, but we don't get that glimpse into them kind of Mm -hmm. in book canon. And here we do. Okay, so I would love to talk about the Iris thing because I think the internet has a lot of thoughts about this. Yeah, so when Mal gets to the little palace, he like finagles his way into there. He sees the Darkling and the, he's like, I I'm gonna, I need to speak to Elena before I tell you exactly where the stag is. And the Darkling's like, well, I need to verify that you actually know Elena. So tell me something, you know, for instance, her favorite flower. And Mal's like, blue irises. So my hot take is I actually didn't mind it. I think I like petty Darkling. I like when he does this kind of shit and pulls these kind of moves. I like the iris moment. Would do it again. I agree. The iris moment felt for all, which we will absolutely talk about later on, and for all that they changed uh, a lot of the Darklings character in the show, that felt to me very true to who he was, and that it's the sort of thing that he would absolutely do. He would not think twice about doing. Why would he think twice about doing that? And so then there's speculation on who actually picks the irises, who he sends to go get them, Is he picking them himself? But then he delivers the irises to Elena, who's smitten. They're her favorite flower. Wait, so I actually want to hear what the speculation around where the blue irises came from, because I'll tell you my theory as out there is in, I think it's in Rule of Wolves, we learned that Zoya has this random garden in the little palace where she keeps flowers for like each of her fallen comrades. I don't, right? I don't know of any other flowers, especially because that was the winter fete. Where would the flowers be coming from? So it's either from the queen if she had some sort of hothouse, or it's from Zoya's. Wow. Okay. What, wait, what was the other speculation you're referring to? I now? think I've definitely just seen a lot of people being like, he sent Ivan to go pick flowers. <laughs> and then Fedor's okay. like, oh, are these for me? And he's like, no. I like that even better. I like, uh, my favorite version, I think, is him sending Ivan to go pick Zoya's flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, so we know Zoya doesn't have a hot house for her flowers. So I don't know anything about irises. I'm guessing they don't bloom in winter. They're early spring. Early like, spring. Right after the kind of snow falls, but assuming winter fed is actually like midwinter. 
Yeah. yeah, I could see I could see using one of the materialics to bleed the color. Interesting, interesting. Okay, I like all these theories, but anyhow, I just I wanted to talk about that scene because I know it's one that people have strong feelings about, including Ben Barnes. And I was like, yeah, it seems actually totally on brand for Book Darkling to me. Yeah, Book Darkling seems to have no qualms about using them, and this is like so much chiller than the torture. That <laughs> no, it's the worst thing he did. JJ, how dare you? Maybe worse thing, show dark, show darkling also kills a bunch of people. <laughs> to be fair, he's probably also instructing Jenya to burn all of the letters that Alina is totally. getting from Mal. So I think that's equally bad. Oh, I don't think he's even burning them. I think he read them and then had her burn, or and then had them burnt. Like he definitely knows a lot about Mal. When Mal shows up in that scene, he's like, oh, that when he says the unit and his name, you can immediately tell he knows who he is. Because notice that he immediately takes it to Alina. Like there's no, like him being like, oh, I'm not sure. Like he knew that this was the Mal that Alina was in love with. That's such a good point. I was confused as to why in the show he was suddenly like, oh, Mal. And I'm like, how do you, you know, who is Mal Mm -hmm. to you? But that explanation makes so much sense. I loved it. I'm also curious. I think this came up more in the book, but... The Darkling actually, when he's talking to Alina about Mal's, I'm bringing, finally we're coming back to Mal, the actual topic of this episode. But he says to her, I wonder sometimes how much we really understand our own gifts when she tells him that Mal can make rabbits out of rocks. What do you think he meant by that? I'll be honest, I have no fucking clue what he meant by that because it's very clear later in the books that he doesn't know Mal's actual nature. He doesn't know that he's a descendant of Morozova. He doesn't know that his ability to track specifically includes a talent to track the amplifiers. I have no idea what he's implying. The line in the book sounds so cool, and yet I underlined it when I was reading, and I said, what does he know? And after rereading the series like five times, I have no answer for what he knows at that point. That line doesn't come up in the show, right, Anjali? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't remember it. And they use a lot of direct lines from the books. So I think that must have been a pretty conscious decision to not include it, which makes me think that Bardugo kind of knew she was going to do something special with Mal as a character, but hadn't actually fully developed what was going to be the overall kind of foundation to his powers. And so the Darkling hints at it to give the audience sort of a what's going on here. But then she later is like, wait, actually, I don't want the Darkling to know what the deal with Mal is. That's my personal theory. Yeah, it is, as Anjali said, pretty clear that he does not know that Mal is an amplifier especially when Amorozova's amplifier is connected to this making at the heart of the world that enables him to do all this tracking. But it does seem like he probably has some inkling that something is going on. And if that's the case, I think what is pretty shocking to me, but maybe like revealing of just how over other people or other things he is in these books, is that he uses it to find the stag. He uses Mal then to control Alina and then it's okay I'm done like maybe you have something like and I just can't be bothered it doesn't seem immediately useful to me beyond how I've already used you and so now you can die which is actually kind of surprising because what JJ is alluding to is that he leaves Mal in the fold to die at the end of book one and then in early book two he's immediately like nope you need to find the sea whip and it's kind of like what's going on in your head between you know now and then it's been clear but i also kind of want to call out a line that like you had brought up before jj in our chat which is around when 
they're I think this is they're on the boat at this point, and he actually reaches out and touches the collar, and I think the exact line is something like, "You two make it so easy. I prick him, you bleed." And Elena responds, "And you can't begin to understand that, can you?" And he actually says, "I understand enough." I think the the part that you skipped over there is between the and you can't begin to understand that, can you? He taps her collar and lets his fingers graze her skin. And so she feels the power from him as an amplifier and he's tapping her amplifier. And then he says, I understand enough. Mm-hmm. And that I think it's pretty clear that even the Darkling who lies as much as he does in these books is he does not know that Mal is the amplifier or if he does a really, really good job of pretending that he doesn't. <laughs> and so I do not think that he is talking about the amplifier there, but I think that is Bardugo giving mm. us the the foreshadowing so that when yeah. we go back and read it, we're like, oh, that's like what's being gotcha. discussed, even if the characters themselves are not exactly sure. Okay, I think I buy that because, and we've talked about this a bit again on our chat around the idea of, does the Darkling actually know that Mal is an amplifier or not? If so, why does he seem to be thinking about the Firebird? Is it just to lead Alina off track? I think you're right. I think the Darkling didn't know, at least at that point. So then this seems like a good segue into talking about Mal as amplifier. Mm-hmm. And so if for some reason you haven't read the books or anything and you made it this far... Uh, into, into this podcast episode, Mal is the third of Morozova's amplifiers that Elena gets stacked with because those amplifiers in particular you can add together. This has a lot of implications for everything leading up to kind of book three and Mal and Elena's relationship. And so one of the things is that this is a reason why they can't actually spend that much time romantically involved mm-hmm. or at least sexually involved like physically Uh, yeah touching yeah physically intimate with one another is that the first time elena's powers manifest is when mal grabs her wrist as she's getting yanked away by volcra and we don't see that exact sort of thing again until it's in siege and storm even anjali (laughs) doesn't love mal towards the end of siege and storm it's not his most endearing phase and he was fighting and then he was making out with zoya and elena was a little bit upset about that because she kind of thought they had a thing and then they're talking by the lake mal grabs her wrist and they both feel a jolt and they say what was that but that's it and we kind of move on from there until they're looking for the firebird they see the Firebird tries uh, to kill happens one more time. Sorry oh, to interrupt yeah, you. No. So to me, when reading Siege and Storm, I pretty quickly cottoned on by the end of the book that Mal was the amplifier. I don't know if Lee intended that to be obvious or not, but I'm always looking for sneaky hints. And so it happens both after Alina discovers the sort of underground wrestling tournament and they have that fight. And then it also happens at the very end of Siege and Storm when they are essentially trapped in the church fighting the Darkling and she's trying to fight back against his power. And he grabs, Mal grabs her to drag her out of the church and he grabs her wrist and she experiences that surge of power, which is what essentially allows her to win that battle, though she doesn't realize why it happened. I actually didn't remember that part. I don't remember that Um, either. 
I do remember in the show, though, they made it pretty clear that the Darkling is often grabbing her wrist. And Bagra even says at one point, do you need like the Darkling to be grabbing your wrist for your power to come out when she's needling her about why she can't access her son's summoning powers? So it does seem to be very wrist specific, or at least they're trying to make that out to be the case. It is still crazy to me, though, that Alina doesn't realize it, like, so far into it. And it's until they actually have found the Firebird already that she's suddenly like, wait, maybe it's not the Firebird, maybe it's Mal. She's so taken by her love and their chemistry together that he just rocks her world. And so she doesn't realize the difference. (laughs) Absolutely. Totally. That's what happened. So this is, we see, Anjali, I just looked up in the book, not that I thought you were lying. I just didn't remember or highlight it. You absolutely, 100%, he grabs her wrist as she's trying to go make out with the Darkling. I probably just skipped over that to get to the Elena Darkling (laughs) makeout scene. But so even though she is looking for this third amplifier, she does not recognize Mal as the third amplifier. If they spent any more time together, she would have had to. It's still, I think, a little bit, you have to suspend some disbelief here to, I I did not realize it at the end of Siege and Storm. I was not personally looking for a third amplifier for Alina though. And I would have thought that maybe the two people who really were might have noticed it. <laughs> so the interesting thing here is what else we know about human amplifiers we know from the Darkling and Bagra. And- Our two most reliable sources. <laughs> so reliable they tell the truth just all the time to each other to themselves to everyone else i think there are two really interesting things here and one is that it's not just elena who doesn't realize that mal is an amplifier he spends all this time with grisha and no one realizes it Mm -hmm. so he hooks up with zoya in the very beginning of this book and you can come up with explanations <laughs> for what happened. I was going a little crazy yesterday. Thank you, Kat. This is where the mature content warning comes in. <laughs> so there are possible explanations. So one explanation is Zoya already has an amplifier and pretty much the what is infinite, the universe and the greed of men, where that sort of is true for any amplifier that is not one of Morozova's amplifiers stacked with another one of those amplifiers. So Zoya already has an amplifier. So because of that, Maybe she cannot tell that Mal is an amplifier. That's possible. That's not established in canon whether or not Grisha can still have their powers amplified by Bagra and the Darkling, even if they have an amplifier. And because Mal does a lot of fighting and wrestling of other Grisha oh my gosh. in the end of Siege and Storm, and even in the beginning of Ruin Rising, right? He's training all of these Grisha. Presumably at some point he's training them in fighting. He's like, holding the wrist to adjust their stance, let alone if he's actually fighting them and trying to grab onto their wrists. They definitely don't all have amplifiers. So someone is going to notice at some point, but no one does. The only thing that occurred to me after we had that conversation the other day in our chat was that Mal is not just any amplifier, right? He is Morzova's third amplifier. And Morzova's amplifiers are designed to stack with each other and so maybe the firebird was always intended to stack with the stag and the sea whip and so by itself it doesn't it may not have that effect this is me desperately searching for solutions to potential plot hole but that is one other explanation yeah not not to poke holes in your desperate patching of a potential hole but like you said actually just before 
The first time we see the amplifier effect is actually in the beginning of the books when Alina's being carried off by Volcrow and she doesn't have any amplifiers yet. So unless we actually believe the Darkling that Morzova's amplifiers are made for her and only her, and maybe that's, you know, why Mal only works for her. Otherwise, I'm like, I'm really like, oh, I'm like trying to imagine. I'm like, okay, maybe he hooked up with Zoya and there was no wrist holding involved. Okay, sure. But wrestling, it's... Have you seen people wrestle? Like, how would you not grab someone's like hand at some point when you're grappling? And we see him do this in the show too. Like, I think in one of the earliest episodes, he's actually fighting and Agrisha tries to come in and fight him too. He's actually carried away. Like his friends are like, that's a bad idea. There's no win in this situation. Again, maybe it's to kind of cover up that hole from the books. Yeah, and he does not hook up with Zoya in the show also. Thus making it, unnecessary for her to have like immediately tied him up upon entering her tent so that he he never grabs her wrist or whatever. One thing that I think would be interesting to see um, how it plays out in the show in light of what we just talked about is in the books, it's necessary for the plot for Alina and Mal to have significant roadblocks to their relationship. And in the show, they have a much better relationship, a much more emotionally healthy relationship. And it doesn't seem like there's necessarily that much impeding them connecting physically. And yet, if the plot of the book holds, there needs to be something that's going to prevent Alina from realizing that Mal is her third amplifier. So I'm I'm curious to see how they will handle that. I do think it would be funny if Zoya did know that Mal was the amplifier and is just keeping it incredibly quiet so that no one else knows. So like they're hooking up, he grabs her wrist and he's like, whoa, what happened? And she's like, oh, don't worry about that. That always happens with me. (laughs) I think that would actually be really funny and a little, there are ways you can interpret it as sweet. Anjali, I think you pointed out that there's nothing sweet about Zoya in the first book of of the series. I think you can also read it as uh, competitive. Right, she doesn't mm-hmm. want any of her competitors to to get an amplifier. Mm-hmm. So the other human amplifiers we see, and I'll focus here on the Darkling and leave off Bagra because we just don't hear that much about her as an amplifier. In the books, I think it is heavily implied that the Darkling uses his ability as an amplifier to project emotions into Elena when mm-hmm. they are touching. Mm-hmm. And so starting after he, as in the show, slices the Fjordan assassin in half, so gross. She is riding on his horse and she's all nervous and he puts his hand on the back of her neck and he rejects calmness and surety. And she mentions this at least two or three times, I think, when she Mm -hmm. touches him and feels this. And it definitely feels like he is projecting it into her. There is a debate around whether this is opening up into what he's feeling or something that he's just deliberately pushing. So this is interesting because this might be part of the reason why everyone feels this pull towards the Darkling. In the books, Mm -hmm. Jenya says to Alina, she says, we all feel it. And imagine if every time someone touched you, you just felt really good. Like, obviously, you're going to be, like, being around this person is great. You're going to crave that approval and that touch. And there's a question of, does Mal have this ability also? And is Mm -hmm. this why, from Elena's point of view, everyone loves Mal. Mal is so popular. He has so many friends. And is that part, like, is this amplifier part of why people like Mal? And he actually does not realize it, and no one else actually realizes it. I think it's a great question. I do have to say that I consider Alina to be a fairly unreliable narrator in the books. 
So I actually didn't know, was Mal really that popular or was it more her being insecure about her not having any friends? He has two and she's like, he's so popular, everyone loves him. (laughs) I think in the show, they make it pretty clear that no, he actually does get along with people. And even in the later books, he gets along with Nikolai and the other kind of soldiers like very quickly fits in. But the first book, I actually didn't know if he was that popular or not. And I think it's a super intriguing point in terms of Is it because he's an amplifier that he actually like is unwittingly projecting feelings that make people happier and calmer and confident that make him so popular? I think there is also a possibility with this where the Darkling says to Elena, I know things about power that you could only guess at. And so is that a trick that he has learned? Is that something specific to the type of amplifier he is? He, he is not one of Morozova's three amplifiers, although he is an amplifier that is related to Morozova. And is this something that he learned and figured out? My, my guess is that it is something he figured out, but probably not consciously. In the same way, they're very specific that no one taught Mal how to track the way that he tracks. He's always been that good at it. And that this may also be kind of one of those unconscious things. So I guess what I would say is I think that the Darkling is able to push feelings, like consciously choose which feelings to push to people. And we really see this in the makeout scene with Alina, right, where he pushes that Like he's feeling both desire and anger towards her. Who knows if he actually was or not? I think that's super debatable and we can come back to that in the Dark Lena episode, maybe episodes. I think the difference with Mal is, let's assume he is actually able to do this too. He's doing it subconsciously. He's just doing what he wants the people around him to be. Like he wants people around him to be happy and calm. He doesn't want Alina to be unhappy. That I think would be the difference to me between the two and the Dark Lena's aware of it and knows how to manipulate it to push the feelings he specifically wants. That's such a good point. One of the the really big differences between the Darkling and Mal, which is when Mal doesn't get what he wants with Alina, he like pouts about it and drinks about it and fights about it. When the Darkling doesn't get what he wants with Elena, he's like, I can just manipulate my way around this. I'm also interested in talking a little bit about Mal's two buddies, Mikhail and Dubrov. In the show, it's the first time meeting them. And we actually kind of see them be like these real supportive friends to Mal over time. It actually makes their deaths have more resonance, in my opinion, in the books. It happened. We didn't really know. We barely knew them. We didn't like them. And then she's like, what happened? And he's like, they got killed. And that's all they ever talk of it. I think to some extent it was necessary to humanize them and make them more interesting because anytime you have to hire an actor and pay them, it has to be worth it, right? And if you're just writing these throwaway characters on the page, it's not a huge deal, but they understandably made the choice to make them somewhat interesting. And consequently, their death had a certain resonance and it affected Mal. This is not explicitly relevant to this, maybe, but when she meets them, they're like, oh, you're the one Mal's mm-hmm. been, you're Mal's little friend. And she's like, oh, tell me more about what he said about me. The wink, wink, nudge implication that we know you, this is your friend that we know you're in love with. Which comes back to the question that you two were asking in the beginning, which is like, why were they not already together? They both clearly knew they were into each other. Even his friends were aware of this. So then Mal has this arc in the books. We covered pretty extensively what happens in book one, Shadow and Bone. In Siege and Storm, he really, he helps find the sea whip. He gets very upset about a lot of things, is not at his best, slacks in his duties. (laughs) Elena almost gets killed as a result of her obstinance and his slacking and then he really by the end he lives up to his servant of a saint name that i am become a blade that's what i am for you 
And because Mal has changed so much in the show, and we really see these other sides of his personality, where do you think the show might go with him in a season two or season three? I think one of the things that always struck me about Mal, and even more so in the show, is that it's almost like another chosen one within a chosen one story. So Alina is clearly the like primary chosen one. But Mal also has his own chosen one arc and narrative where he is the one tracker who can find the sea whip, the stag, the firebird that had existed for, let's say, like 800, 900 years since Morozova had resurrected them and nobody else could find them. So I just think there's it's really interesting that there's this second chosen one story going on. They've made Mal into a 100% more likable and interesting character. I feel like he's going to have a bigger role in the show than the books based on these two things, like with his own POV. I also think in relation to what I was saying before, I think that he and Alina are probably going to have some roadblocks to their relationship. There's going to be something that makes them fight or prevents them from physically touching each other on a you know frequent basis. And I'm, I'm curious to know what that is and I hope that they can do it in a way that keeps Mal as likable as he is right now and doesn't turn people against him. I think it's gonna be tough. SNS Mal is not likable to me at all. And it's like what roadblocks are they gonna throw in there? Maybe they'll just make it so they have to physically separate for parts of the book so that there's not even a chance that they can be intimate. But I am curious what other problems they're going to throw in their way because one thing that they seem to have made a clear decision on is to basically cut out any of the slut shaming that happened in the books where both Mal and even Alina to herself made her feel bad any time that she showed interest in the Darkling or anyone outside of just Mal. Yay, I'm so glad they got rid of that. Me too. It's everything you can hope for in, in a show remake of Mal. Here's a question for both of you, since you're kind of more experts on this than me. The first book was written almost 20 years ago now. Is that right? Or how long has it been? 10 years. Okay. So that's not a crazy long time like it was with Bridgerton, for example, in between the books being written and then made into a show. But I guess it's still long enough that the kind of environment and what we as viewers want to see has changed such that slut shaming is no longer acceptable. And I don't know how much the parts of the fandom's very vocal dislike and, in my opinion, legitimate criticisms of Mal also played a part in helping the people writing the show kind of reevaluate that. I don't know the extent to which the rewriting was done in like more of a vacuum from people who were like not checking out what was going on online. But from my perspective, what however it came about, redoing Mal's character and just like his relationship with Alina to make them like so obviously like each other is just brilliant. Very well done. I I was going to say that even if they weren't that familiar with the fandom, which would be surprising to me given how involved Lee Bardugo was in the production of the show, I would assume they'd at least have taken the scripts through a lot of sensitivity readings and had readers give feedback about that, probably enough so that they could have changed it even if they hadn't realized how it's how outspoken the existing kind of Grishaverse fandom was. Yeah, and see, Anjali, that's why there aren't that as many Mal and Alina fanfics as you got everything you needed out of canon. <laughs> right so back where they started. To, to clarify... I was very scared to do this podcast and I had to be dragged onto it by Kat and JJ. 
primarily because I'm on team Mal and Alina and my <laughs> great fear was everyone's gonna hate my opinions but JJ looked up the number of Darkling Alina fanfics and the number of Alina Mal fanfics out there and I'm not alone there are some people that ship Mal and Alina together. I think that sh- people who watch only the show strongly prefer Mal from what I can tell online and it makes sense he's just a better character he's a better person a supportive partner to her. If I had only watched the show too, I might have been only thinking that Ben Barnes is really attractive, but that Mal was overall a better choice. And that's probably still objectively true. <laughs> the Darkling might be a little evil. His name is the Darkling. Hey, 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 no spoilers. <laughs> I will just close off my comments here with one commentary which explains why I like Mal, because I think we've discussed a lot of things on this episode, and including reasons why Mal is maybe not great. But as the resident Molina team member here, I will say that for me, it's less about Mal and it's more about Alina and wanting her to get what she wants. He's her childhood sweetheart, or at least in her heart, she wants that. And I want Alina to have what she always wanted. And I also come from a place where I have frequently fallen in love with my best friends. And I've had friends fall in love with me. And that feeling isn't always reciprocated or reciprocated immediately and I've had relationships that slowly turn from friendships to something more and so as much as people can argue that Mal didn't treat Alina well or Mal was grumpy or mean I really empathize with both parties in this relationship and I I root for the the good ending to come out of it Mm -hmm. and the best possible outcome and and that is why I am team Malina. In case it wasn't clear to you, JJ, she was actually referring to me and how I love to hit on her. So. <laughs> and here I thought that was a reference to me. Um, <laughs> she's, she did say she's had a lot of best friends fall in love with her. And thank you, Anjali, for agreeing to do this. And I hope we've been respectful in our disagreements. Uh, yes, this was lots of fun. So outside of being Melina, Dark Lena fans, I have a couple of questions for you two. Firstly, how do you think the entire kind of story trajectory would have changed if Mel had actually been killed like very early on, whether he had died in the fold actually and wasn't saved by the regular non-Grisha healers, if he'd been killed by the Theardens when he went to track down the stag by Bagra in the show when she sends her little minion, like what would have changed? I think potentially the fold, if he had been killed in the fold, and then Elena had discovered her powers because of the pain rather mm-hmm. than the amplifier thing. I think that would set her on a very different trajectory, right? So not mm-hmm. only is she done repressing her powers, she's like an agent of vengeance almost. That I think would be, that would be a really different story, right? She's driven not by love for someone, but by, by the memory of and wanting to destroy this fold and get revenge. And when she finds out the Darkling actually created the fold, that sets up like that revenge cycle or that desire for you know revenge and destruction of him and what he stands for, even without Mal as a competing love interest. I, I actually feel very similarly where let's assume that they weren't able to get the amplifiers if Mal was dead. And Alina has to train like a regular Grisha and get a regular amplifier maybe to get stronger. I think the wedge between them would have actually been around the Darkling having created the fold which killed Mal, her childhood love, 
versus it having been this thing of, oh, you were trying to control me, you were trying to make me your slave, because that couldn't have happened without the Mordzova amplifiers. One thought that I had when I heard Kat ask a question was that I think that now serves as a touchstone for Alina, like a reminder mm. of normal Ravkins, a reminder of non-Grisha and, and what they think. Without him, I could see her very easily being manipulated by the Darkling and following all his plans. I think she may not have been strong enough or she might have gotten consumed by the sort of uh, opportunity and the power that the Darkling was promising her without Mal to be a reminder of normal Rothkins to check her desire for power and he nags her about it in a way that she doesn't like. But I think that he serves as her conscience. Yeah, that's a great point because in the books, the thing that's actually holding Alina back from accessing her son's summoning powers is supposedly her relationship with Mal and not wanting to be, you know, separated from him. If he hadn't been there, would that, how much of that would have changed? You're talking about her having Mal as this like touchstone back to reality, in a sense that was also what was keeping her from accessing full powers. So it's interesting that it's both the good and the bad. Yeah, I think that there's also more to that. We see, and one of these things that like stuck with me as just being so bizarre the first time I read the book was Elena's temper at the beginning of the book. She gets angry. <laughs> she gets angry at her commander for not diving after Alexei on the phone. Mm-hmm. She just gets really upset about this thing in front of everyone. She's kind of yelling at her commander. And I think that, I think it's a little bit bizarre, but I think it's also a glimpse into a character who could really have become much more unhinged without Mal. I, I would very much believe that if she got the third amplifier, she would have kind of, like she worried about for a lot of the, the second and third book, gone over the edge of power hungry and just like wanting more, even as we see her being upset about killing people. New twist. Let's assume that he wasn't killed, he hadn't died in the fold. What if he weren't the one who got the assignment to track down the stag and had never then gone to the little palace the night of the winter fet? What do you think that would have changed? I can tell you at first blush, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that he would not have had any excuse to go to the little palace and see Alina. I guess it would be pretty similar to what I was saying before, where if he didn't track down the stag, it's unclear if anyone would have been able to, and maybe she would never have had any of Morzova's uh, amplifiers, and that could have changed what she did next. Bagra told her about what the Darkling was planning and that he was her son because the stag was found. So would Bagra still have done it at that point? Probably not. At some point, maybe. Without the amplifiers, Alina couldn't have been necessarily controlled like that. I think without the stag, I see the Darkling is maybe doubling down on the emotional manipulation and working on convincing Alina it was the right thing to do somehow. Yeah, I think that because in both the book and the show, it's really the finding of the stag that interrupts their makeout session. So, mm-hmm. right, without the stag, that goes a lot farther, a lot faster. Mm-hmm. You don't have the... Like, it is both interrupted by the Darkling and then also by Bagra as prompted by the stag. I also, and this is, I think, something for what is actually true versus what was everyone lying about constantly in in the book. But I, I personally think that they could have found the stag other ways. And Mal is not 
the only third amplifier. He is certainly a third amplifier. We have no reason at all mm. to believe that he's the only one. And I think this book could have, right, taken dark turns of killing the firebird, realizing it's not an amplifier, <laughs> going around killing a bunch of Kazatsia, <laughs> trying to figure out who exactly are amplifiers. Obviously, that would have been a dark turn, even for this trilogy. Okay, as we wrap up our discussion on Mao, let's do a quick lightning round of just in general, how do we feel about Mao? Sure, I'll go first. Show Mal is appealing, but I have a soft spot in my heart for book Mal. I want Alina to have what she wants, and I'm rooting for them to overcome their obstacles. And that's why I'm team Melina, even though it's not the most popular opinion out there. <laughs> I think that a lot of what, you know, we're talking about Mal, but Anjali, you're also talking about like team Melina. And I think like a lot of my dislike of book Mal is from, from how I think of him as as being for Elena. And he goes through the phases where he's doing dumb things that like people do. People do dumb things and are like not always great in relationships. I think there's a lot of my personal pet peeve between the two of them where I was like, what if you like sat down and had a 20 minute conversation and were like honest with each other? I, I get why they didn't do it. I kept wanting them to do it. In the books, they're 17. <laughs> This takes practice. Like, you yeah. have to also care. This one weird trick will actually improve your relationships, and it's communication. <laughs> but I think that, Anjali, as you were talking about him and Elena, I was wondering that if these books were written from his point of view, would I be really sick of Elena and feel like she should have just told him about seeing the dark leg and then he wouldn't have had to be like, oh, wow, you like cringe when I touch you. And of course, Zoya was forcing herself on him and he didn't protest, but like he also didn't initiate it. And I think he got some points for that. And yeah, so he misses one shift, but she didn't have to go dump herself in the middle of a bunch of people who would rip her to shreds and use her bones. So I think that there's really mm -hmm. a lot of maybe like typical relationship angst between the two of them that in a fantasy book feels maybe more unforgivable than being the darkling <laughs> and being a gazillion years old and very compelling. But that is not a lightning round way of saying uh, I am really excited for where uh, show Mal goes. Totally fair. Uh, I actually like lightning round. I am going to lightning answer this. Book Mal has slightly grown on me. I think you both made some good points. I especially agree with Alina is actually pretty annoying in the books and in the first like half of book one, she's a grumper. So would I have liked him for her? Maybe not. Shomel, uh, very excited about what they're gonna do with him. Archie Renault is a great actor. I don't know, I feel like it could be pretty exciting. Bookmel, I think based on, you can maybe tell from my question earlier, I would have been okay if he'd been killed off and Alina was on this very d different trajectory. Shomel, yeah, we can keep him for a while. Let's see how he does. <laughs> He's on probation. So we'll close <laughs> off, as maybe we will with every episode, with a lightning round of Kiss, Mary, Kill. Ooh. And this one, Kat, you came up with this in our chat. So I'm going to throw it back to you first. Mal, okay. Jenya, Mal's two friends. Okay, Mal, Jenya, and Mal's two friends who we can't keep apart. Okay, I don't, I'm trying to debate what I feel about Jenya. I think... She betrays a bit, she lies a bit, she's very good looking, she could probably help me be better looking. I guess I'll keep her around. I think I'm gonna marry Jenya. That one's the easiest. She I could think probably I'll with... help me be better <laughs> <laughs> If she's feeling generous, she could make me better looking too. 
<laughs> Every day we have a, set, a Taylor session in the morning together. I'm definitely killing Mal's two buddies and gonna take Mal for a one night stand slash kiss. If he's good enough for Zoya, good enough for me. Uh, yeah, I find myself agreeing with Kat. 100 wow! Yeah, 100% <laughs> marry uh, Jenya. She's funny, she's beautiful, and she's an in-house plastic surgeon. So I really see nothing wrong with this. She does lie quite a bit. That's true. I'll have to keep my eye and on her. And she does but... choose the Darkling over Alina at the end of book one. Yeah, but she can come around. I'll keep her. Uh, I mean, I am too, but I just want to make sure we're still making the right decision here together. I would kiss Mal. He seems hot, not necessarily emotionally mature. I'm assuming we're talking about Mal at the beginning. And Mikael and Dubrov died in the books, and they can die in this question too. Yeah, I'm right on board with all of you. If Mal is good enough to hook up with Zoya, that meets my bar. Jenny seems legit amazing. Yeah, and Mal's two friends are already dead. So I don't even have to kill him. (laughs) Amazing. Thanks for joining us for our first episode. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, like us, and let us know what other topics you'd like to hear about. Mm